Chapter 50 of The Wyvern Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. The Wyvern Mystery by Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu. Chapter 50 Bertha Veldekoust. Harry Fairfield, when crossing Cressley Common, he reached the road that diverges eastward, took that turn and rode towards Hatherton. Surely enough, he looked when he slackened his pace to a walk at the foot of the long low hill that interposes between the common and that town. He had a short pipe in his pocket with a big bowl and a metal cover to it into which he stuffed some pinches of tobacco. A shilling went a good way in that sort of smoking and Harry was economical and soon his pipe was in full play. This narcotic helped his cogitative powers, and he had a good deal to think about. He was going to see his old friend, Bertha Valdekaust, in her new situation, and he was considering how best to approach her. From such ruminations, too vague and irregular to be reduced to logical sequence and arrangement, there arise, nevertheless, conclusions by no means unimportant, and quite distinct enough. By this time he had smoked his pipe out and looked down from the summit of this rising ground upon the pretty town spreading among the trees with its old tower and steeple, its courthouse, its parsonage and that high-walled stronghold on the right in which the object of his visit was at present secluded. When, having complied with all the formalities, he obtained an entrance and obtained permission to visit that person, it was her pleasure to keep him waiting for some time for his audience. Harry grew cross and impatient, the more so as he heard that she had a friend with her, drinking tea and reading the newspaper to her. As Harry Fairfield was one of those persons who are averse to sacrificing themselves without a good consideration, the reader will conclude that his object was not altogether to serve the old soldier, if it had been only that, I think he would have left the town of Hatherton re-infector. As it was, he waited, and at last was admitted. This lady, Bertha Veldekoust, chose to be known among her neighbours in misfortune as Madame Bertha Fairfield of Wyvern, which style and title she preferred to that by which she had been committed to the safekeeping of the jailer. When Harry Fairfield stepped into her small apartment, he found her dressed, and bedizened in a way that a little surprised him. She had on a sky-blue satin dress, caught up at one side with a bunch of artificial flowers. She had a lace scarf and a lace coiffure lying flat across her head, with a miniature coronet of Roman pearl in the centre, and lappets depending at each side. She had a double necklace of enormous Roman pearls about her throat, and a pair of pink velvet slippers embroidered with beads and bugles, and this tawdry figure sat on the side of her truckle bed to receive him, with the air of a princess in a pantomime. She accumulated her finery in this way, I think, for the purpose of impressing the people about the prison with a due sense of her position and importance. It may not have been quite without its effect. "'Hello, madam. I came to tell you some news,' said he, as soon as the door was closed. But, by the makings, you most took my breath away at first sight of ye. P. 
pity to have so nice a man breathless. Deplorable pity. Suppose you go away. I did not ask you to come and get your breath again in the air of my place. What place may that be? Not Hoxton Old Town, hey? Not at all, wife and dear child, she said in a quiet sneer. Oh, thank ye. Yes, I will. I'll take a mouthful there, as you are so good. As he concluded this speech, Master Harry put out his tongue at the blind lady with a grimace that was outrageous. I'll hide my name no longer, she said. I'm Mrs. Fairfield of Wyvern. That is as may be, he answered serenely. I say I'm Mrs. Fairfield of Wyvern, repeated she. Boo, answered Harry. Beast, by that noise, what do you mean? I'll tell ye by and by. Come, you mustn't be cross. It wastes time. More time than we know what to do within this house, she sneered. Well, that's true for some, I'll not deny. But there's some as is pretty well worked, I hear, eh? And so long as we bain't, we may endure the leisure. For as bad as that is, business here, I'm told, is a deal worse. <laughs> and Harry laughed. Pleasant was my Harry always, again sneered the lady. And you heard of poor Charlie, of course, he asked. Yes, of course. Everyone is not like you. I did hear. I don't thank you. She answered tartly and turned her pale, malignant face towards him. But, dear girl, I could not. There were difficulties. Eyes are watching on all hands and ears cocked, and I knew you could not be long without knowing. So you heard. But mayhap you haven't heard this. There was a child born of that marriage. Marriage? And with an oath, the big Dutch woman burst into a discordant laugh. <laughs> For a moment, Harry was alarmed, but the laugh was not hysterical, purely emotional, and an escape for pent-up scorn and fury. Well, anyhow, there's a child, a boy, and a fine, hale little chap, with a big bald head and a bawling mouth as ever a mother hugged the darling. Well, let the brat lie on the dung heap. You'll not lift him, said the lady. I'll not meddle or make. I'm not over-hot about Wyvern. I'd rather have a pocket full of money than a house full of debts any day. And anyhow, there he is, and four bones that's to walk off with my share out. I should have got mourning, said Bertha of Elderkaust, speaking from some hidden train of thought. Bah! No one to see you here, said Harry. If I had money or credit, I'd have got it, she said. That's very affectionate of you, said Harry. But why do you dress like that? Why do you dress like the lady with the glass slipper, Cinderella, at the King's Ball in the storybook? I should dress, you think, like Cinderella over the coal scuttle? Well, I wouldn't set the folk a-laughing when I was in no laughing humour myself. Not it makes much odds, and I do suppose it don't matter. Not it. It does matter something, perhaps, and perhaps nothing, but I know who I am, and I won't let myself down, said she. I don't want to lose myself among these people. I'll keep myself distinct. I'm too high to put my foot in the mud. Too high to put your foot in the mud? Too high? Oh, put your foot on the pavement, said Harry mischievously, with his eyes on this impulsive lady, and hitching his chair off a little to secure a fair start. You'll be too high, I'm thinking, to get your foot to ground at all, one of these days, if you don't look sharp. It's too high a flight, I'm told, to touch terra firma with the top of your toe. 
The gallows, I mean, and that's what you're coming to quick, I'm afeard. As Harry concluded, he stood up, intending to get out, if possible, without the indignity of coming to hand grips with a woman. The Herculean lady in sky-blue satin and Roman pearls leaned forward with sharpened features, but neither extended her arm nor attempted to rise. Then she sighed deeply and leaned with her shoulders to the wall. Off in a coach for this bout, thought Harry. Thank you, kind lad. Always the same, she sneered quietly. You wish it, no doubt. But no, you don't think it. I know better. Why the devil should I wish you hanged, Bertha? Don't be a fool. You're not in my way, and never can be. There's that boy, and, for reasons of my own, I'm glad he is. I'm glad he's where he is. And Wyvern will be for him, and not for me. Never. Harry, dear, you know quite well, she drawled softly with a titter. <laughs> you poison that boy, if you can. You lie, said Harry, turning scarlet, and then as suddenly pale. You lie. And so that's answered. Here followed a silence. The woman was not angry, but she tittered again and nodded her head. Wyvern's out of my head. I never cared about it. I had my own reasons. I never did. He swore furiously, striking his hand on the table. And I won't see that boy ruined. My flesh and blood. My own nephew. No. No, Bertha. That would never do. The boy must have his own. I'll see you made comfortable. But that lay won't do. You'll find it won't pay nohow. Speak out, man. What do you mean? said Bertha. Come, 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 Bertha. You're no fool, wheedled he. There isn't a sound ahead from this to London. And though you be a bit hot-headed, you're not as bad as you'd have us believe. Taint the worst always that has an over-hasty hand. Why, bless ye, girl, I'd be sorry you were hurt, and I hope to get ye out of this without scathe or scorn, if you'll let me. Well, come, what's in your mind, Harry Fairfield? she asked. I'll tell ye what it is. Can you do no good, know-how, being hard on that boy? I know, and you know, you were never married to poor Charlie. You lie, cried the lady bitterly. So they were quits on the point of honour. Now, Bertha, lass, come now, reason, reason. Don't you be in a hurry, and just listen to reason, and I'll make it better to you than fifty marriages. Don't you think I have no advice? I've engaged Mr. Wynell, the best attorney in Hatherton, and I know what I'm about. The better you know it, the better I'm pleased. But the lawyer folk likes a little bit of a row. They seldom cries kiss and be friends until their hands be well greased, and their clients has a belly full of law. Therefore it's better that friends should put their heads together and agree before it comes to that sort of milling. And I tell you, ye shall be cared for. I'll see to it, if you don't be kicking up no rows about nothing. She laughed a quiet, scornful laugh. <laughs> oh, ho, oh, Master Harry, poor little fellow. He's frightened, is he? You're damnably mistaken, said he. Frightened indeed. I'll see who's frightened. I know there was no marriage. I know it and it won't be trying it on me. You'll just get yourself in the wrong box. Where's the use of running your head into a cotton bag? Cotton bag, your own head. Who's to do it? There'll be clumsy fingers that can't tie that knot, lass. Come, 
You're a clever girl. You're not to be talking. Not like a fool. I know everything about it. If you try that on, it will turn out bad. It ain't easy to green Harry Fairfield. I don't think he was ever yet fooled by a lass, but where he chose to be fooled, and it's pretty well allowed, there's no use trying to bully him. I ought to like you, if all that is so, said she, for you are so very like my own self. I'm not trying to bully you, girl, nor to sell you neither. You were always a bit rash, and too ready with your hand, but them's not the worst folk going. We Fairfields has a touch of it, and we shouldn't be o'er hard on quick-tempered folk like that. There was no lass that I ever met, gentle or simple, that could match ye for good looks and pleasant talk, and ye dress so beautiful, and if you had but your eyes this minute, you'd have who ye liked at your feet. And Harry Fairfield repeated this view of her charms with an oath. If ifs and ands were pots and pans, repeated the lady with a sigh of gratification, and with that foreign accent and peculiar drawl which made the homely proverb sound particularly odd. I forgot the end, but there would be no use in tinkers, I think. Well said, Bertha, there's none like ye, not one, this minute so handsome, exclaims he. Not that chit down at Carwell Grange, I dare say, eh? Alice, not fit to stand behind your chair. If ye could but see her, and just look in the glass... You'd answer the question yourself, he replied. There it is again, if I could look in the glass. It is fourteen years since I did that, if I could see that fool of a girl. If, 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 she said, with an irrepressible simper. The old proverb again, ifs and ands were pots and pans. Twas old Mistress Tarnley who used to say that. Uh, a damned old witch she always was, she broke out parenthetically and should be broke alive on the wheel. Bang away with the devil's broomstick, and break her to smash for me, said Harry, but I'd sooner talk of yourself. Hang me, if you ever look better. There's no such figure, and by the law it's looking up. It is better and better every day. I like a tall lass, but ye beat them all by the law, and ye shows off dress so grandly. Now don't think, foolish thing, I like compliments. In at one ear and out the other, she said with the same smirk, shaking her great head. Hoot, lass! Compliments indeed! Why should I? Only this, that knowing you so long, I just blurt out everything that comes uppermost, and it's a pity you shouldn't have money to dress as you should. I never had that, said the lady. Never, I know that well, and if you won't be said by me, you'll have less. I don't think you know much about it, said Bertha serenely. Now, Bertha, child, you mustn't keep contradicting me. I do know a great deal about it. Everything. There was no marriage. Never. As long as Charlie lived, you never said that. You always backed me. I'm not going to tell lies for no one, said he, sulkily. Not going? Why, you have been lying all your life. You'd lie for a shilling any day. All lies, you mean miserly liar. Come, Bertha, draw it mild, won't she? Did you never hear say o' the Fairfields that they were a quick-tempered folk? And it's an old saying, don't knock a mad horse over the head. It's true, all I said, she laughed, and that's why it stings. And did ye never hear that true jests breed bad blood, he laughed? But, no matter, I'm not a bit riled, and I won't. I like ye better for speaking out. 
I hate that mealy-mouthed talk with that fine-spoken folk goes on we. I likes a bit of a rub now and then. If ye were too civil, I couldn't speak my own mind neither, and that would never do. Get along with ye. Have you any more to say? Shall I say it out, plain and short, and will you hear it through? he asked. Aye. Well, here it is. If you don't sign that, I think you'll be hanged. No, you don't, she said, more quietly. I do. Bye. And he swore. No, you don't, she repeated in the same tone. Who is to do it? Charlie's gone, and vilely as he used me, he never would have done that. And Alice won't, she told you so. I'm better informed, I believe, than you fancied. So don't you suppose I am at all anxious? I want to take you off in a coach, and you won't let me, said he. Thanks, simple Harry, she sneered. And I'm coming this day week, and then it will be within ten days or the sizes. And I'll be discharged, and I'll bring separate actions against every soul that had a hand in putting me here. Ask my attorney, said the lady, with a pale, angry simper. And Judge Risk is coming down, and you'd better ask your attorney, as you talk of him, whether he's a hang judge or no. Cunning beast, all won't do, she said sarcastically. Well, Bertha, this day week I'll be here, and this day week will be your last chance, for things will begin that day, and no one can stop them. Lord have mercy on us, she whined, with an ugly mockery and an upturning of her sightless eyes. You may be saying something like that in the press room yet, if you won't take the trouble to think in earnest before it's too late. Now listen once for all, for it's the last words I'll say. That's all true, you say. Charlie's gone, and if he was here instead of in Kingdom Come, t'would have been all one, for he would never have moved a hand in the matter, nor a suffered it. And as for Alice, she won't neither. But if you don't sign that paper by this day week, and make no bones about it, here he swore a hard oath. Blind as you be, I'll open your eyes and I'll prosecute the indictment myself. Goodbye, ma'am, and think between this and then. Harry Fairfield strode from the room and was still full of the grim emotion which had animated the close of his interview when he reached the little inn at which, but a few weeks before, his brother Charles had stabled his horse when making his last visit to Hatherton. End of chapter 50